encounter between the rich young ruler and Jesus. And to do that, we're going to look in Matthew's Gospel in chapter 19. So I invite you to hear this story. Just then a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus asked. There is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Which ones? He inquired. Jesus replied, You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother and love your neighbor as yourself. All these I have kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? Jesus answered, If you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When the rich young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, Who then can be saved? Then Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Will you join with me in prayer? Gracious God, we give you thanks for your word. God, we thank you for the ways in which your word comforts us and encourages us. But today, God, we give you thanks for which, those ways in which your word challenges us. And so, God, we dare to pray that you would challenge each one of us to just more fully and closely walk with you, to determine what is the one thing that we lack so that we too can embrace and live in eternal life. It's in Jesus' name we pray together. Amen. Well, throughout this series, I have begun each one of my sermons by sharing with you why I chose to focus on that particular encounter with Jesus. Going all the way back to June, I chose the story of Bartimaeus because that happens to be one of my favorite gospel encounters. Uh, in July, I chose the story of Zacchaeus because my grandson Silas was visiting with us on that Sunday, and that's his favorite Bible story. Uh, last week, I chose the story of Nathaniel because I had never heard a sermon on Nathaniel, and I was interested to learn more about Nathaniel. Well, today we're going to focus on the story of the rich young ruler from the Gospel of Matthew. And I chose that story because I don't like it. <laughs> I don't like it because the rich young ruler goes away sad. Not many people go away sad after encountering Jesus. I'm okay with the Pharisees and Pontius Pilate leaving Jesus feeling frustrated, but I don't like to face the reality that someone could walk away from a conversation with Jesus and feel sad. I like to think that every encounter with Jesus is a positive experience. I also don't like this story because Jesus tells him to sell all of his possessions and give them to the poor. And that makes me wonder, what does this story mean for me? 
Does Jesus expect me to sell all of my possessions? I don't want to sell all of my possessions. I like my possessions. I have a 2019 Honda CRV, and I love that car. I have even named it Pearl. It is the nicest car I have ever owned. It has a sunroof, it has Apple CarPlay, and best of all, it is all-wheel drive. Pearl has gotten me home on some really nasty days. I have driven around the windy road up and down the hill as the snow is coming down heavy. And then when I finally get to my driveway and pull into my garage, I have literally said out loud, thank you, Pearl. I don't want to sell Pearl and give the money away to the poor. And this story just forces me to ask the question, does Jesus ask of me what he asks of this man in the story? Does Jesus say to me, one thing you lack, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. I share that verse with you from the Gospel of Mark because this story is found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. We, I chose to read Matthew's version of the story because I want to be an equal opportunity gospel preacher. Uh, I preached on Mark's story in Bartimaeus, Luke's story of Zacchaeus, and John's story of Nathaniel. So I thought it only made sense that we would choose Matthew's story of the rich young ruler. But each of these three gospel accounts share some slightly different details about this encounter. If you were listening carefully to the scripture reading, you may be wondering, why is he called the rich young ruler? Because when you look in Matthew's gospel, Matthew tells us twice that he was young in verse 20, and then again in verse 22. And then verse 22 also tells us that he had great wealth, but there's nowhere in that Matthew's account that it says that he was a ruler. Um, Matthew doesn't say that, but Luke does. In Luke chapter 18, verse 18, it begins the story by Luke saying to us, a certain ruler. The word translated ruler indicates that this young man was a leader. He was somebody who had power and dignity. So when we put it all together, this is a man who has it all. He is young, he is rich, and he is powerful. And we also know that he is faithful to the law because in verse 20, he says to Jesus, all these laws I have kept. Mark even goes a step further in describing his faithfulness to the law. And Mark says that he has kept all of these since he was a boy. There was no sowing of wild oats for this man. This man had lived right and straight since he was a boy, and he has it all. He's probably even tall, dark, and handsome. He would have been considered a blessed man because in Bible times, being wealthy was considered a sign of God's favor and God's blessing. We read that in scripture in Proverbs chapter 10. It says that the blessing of the Lord brings wealth without painful toil for it. So the Jews understood that as long as a person was a wealthy person, was generous, they, were, they, could, they could be considered pious and faithful to the law. And because a righteous man was, they would, blessings would just crown the head of the righteous from Proverbs chapter 10 again. 
So this would be the kind of man that every church would love to just have walk through the door. It would, a modern day version might be like if Tim Tebow would move to Williamsport and become a part of First Church, it would be a young, talented, rich, faithful man. And yet, this man walks away from Jesus feeling sad. The rich young ruler's encounter with Jesus is a heartbreaking and I would even say disturbing story. It shows us that we humans just so often walk away from the one who looks at us with nothing but love. We walk away from abundance and meaning, and it's so tempting to smooth over the rough edges of this story so it doesn't irritate us so much. To say, well, Jesus called this man to sell all of his possessions. That doesn't necessarily mean that he calls us to do the same. To say that this, well, this is a story for other Christians, not for us. Or maybe that this was a story for a different time, not for our time. This was a story in a simpler time when disciples walked from village to village with Jesus carrying all of the possessions that they owned. This is not for our time when people need cars and houses and 401ks. Or maybe that this is a story maybe still for today, but only for a select group of Christians, for missionaries, nuns, people who are specifically called to live and serve among the poor. This story can't be for people like us. But it is dangerous to cut out parts of scripture because we don't think that they are relevant to us. And don't forget that Matthew, Mark, and Luke all decided to include this story in their account of the good news of Jesus. And so I think the first thing that we need to do with this story is not to dismiss it as irrelevant, but to allow it to disturb us. Because sometimes encounters with Jesus disturb us. We love stories about Jesus comforting the afflicted. They feel like good news to preach those stories. This is a story about Jesus afflicting the comfortable. It has challenged me as I have wrestled with it. And if I do my job, it's going to challenge you too. The rich young ruler would appear to be comfortable. He appears to have everything that the world can offer. He is even good. He said that he has kept all of the commandments, and yet we see in this story that he wasn't content. He knew that there was something more and he was searching for it. Why else would he have come to Jesus? What does this man want from Jesus? He has it all, and yet look at what he asks. He wants to know in uh, verse 16, teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life. I've done everything I've been told I should do, but deep inside, I know it's not enough. Tell me, Jesus, what do I still lack? He was on a quest to fill the emptiness in his soul, to feel satisfied, to be complete. And so he's looking for one last commandment, one final achievement, so that he could be sure 
that his goal was accomplished. Not only did he succeed in life, but he succeeded in eternal life. What was it that he needed to do so that he could rest fulfilled? Tell me, teacher. He must have been stunned by Jesus's response. He isn't commended for his good behavior. He isn't given one more step to climb up on the ladder because he doesn't need one more thing. It isn't one thing that he lacks. He lacks everything. His quest isn't almost fulfilled. His quest is futile. A rich man like him entering the kingdom of heaven is as likely to happen as a camel fitting through the eye of a needle. It's impossible. It just isn't going to happen, so don't even try. Jesus told this wealthy, successful, respected, good man how he could experience eternal life, and the man is left speechless when he hears Jesus' words, and he simply walks away very sad. Before we begin to explore why Jesus responded the way he did to this man, I think we just need to pause for a moment to just feel this story, to feel the sadness of this encounter, and to feel disturbed about what it might mean for each one of us. It's a hard story. Do you see why I don't, I don't like it? When I was in the middle of working on it, I said to Pastor Matt, what was I thinking when I chose this story to preach on? And he just smiled because he knew you can't tie a bow on this one. It doesn't end with everybody being happily ever after. We don't know what happened to this young man after he walked away from Jesus. But there is a key detail in Mark's version of the story that I think helps us to begin to find the good news in this story. Because before Jesus tells this man what he must do to get eternal life, Jesus looked at him and loved him. The word translated looked isn't a casual glance. It means he gazed earnestly. It's like he looked into his soul. And when he did it, he did it with love. And then he told the man what he must do. My grandson Benjamin recently got his first shots. And that just made me remember when I took my tiny babies to the doctor for their shots. They weren't the only ones who cried because I loved them. And yet I signed that consent for them to be poked with a needle because I loved them. And while they couldn't understand what was happening to them, all they knew was that they were experiencing pain but I knew that they were experiencing pain in the short term, but that that immunization would be of benefit to them for their entire lifetime. I think that Jesus is doing the same thing with this man. He looks at him with love, and then he invites this man to do the one thing which he lacks. 
Jesus says to this man, if you want to enter life, keep the commandments. And the man replies, which ones? <laughs> that struck me as odd. I mean, wouldn't you think, well, all of them. But Jesus doesn't say all of them, right? Well, you heard it. He just names some of the Ten Commandments. And that is curious to me as well. Uh, whenever something seems curious in Scripture, that's we, I think we should take that as an invitation to dig into it. So together, let's dig into Jesus's response and help us to discover um, what Jesus is teaching this man. I think he's helping him to find for himself that one thing which he lacks. So Jesus says to him in uh, verses 18 and verses 19, um, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, honor your father and mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. You may know that the Ten Commandments are actually divided into two sections. The first sections are, the section is those that address our relationship with God. And then the second section addresses our relationship with other people. So the first four commandments, thou shalt have no other gods before me, thou shalt not make any graven images, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, and thou shalt remember the Sabbath, all relate to our relationship with God. And Jesus doesn't mention any of them in this story, right? The remaining commandments all relate to our relationship with other people. And those are the ones Jesus quotes. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony. But there's one more that he doesn't say. Thou shalt not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or your neighbor's male or female servant, his ox or his donkey or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. Instead, Jesus adds a commandment from Leviticus chapter 19. Love your neighbor as yourself. Did Jesus forget one of the Ten Commandments? Well, of course not. And so why does Jesus do this? I want to suggest a possible reason based on how Jesus typically taught. Jesus often taught in a way that allowed the person to discover the truth for themselves. He frequently asked questions to which he knew the answer. He asked, think about it, he asked Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you? Even though he knew what Bartimaeus wanted was restoration of his sight. Jesus also frequently taught in parables, and he didn't explain them all the time. And that would be so that the listeners could figure them out for themselves. So this man has a question, what must I do to get eternal life? And Jesus, I think, is leading him to the answer, uh, to answer his question for himself by very strategically naming the commandments which he needs to follow. The rich young ruler is a man who behaves himself. So imagine him standing in front of Jesus, listening to the commandments that Jesus names, don't murder, check. Don't commit adultery, check. Don't steal, check. Don't lie, check. Honor your father and mother, check. Now, the rich young man would have known these commandments by like the back of his hand. And so he would have been standing there, I think, waiting for don't covet. But Jesus doesn't say it. 
So maybe Jesus kind of like raised his eyebrows, paused for a moment, gazed earnestly at this man, expectantly watching his face to see if he gets what Jesus is, is teaching him. Watching desperately for this successful man to discover the one thing which he lacks. You may know that to covet means to have your eyes on someone else's belongings. It means to desire it, maybe even to scheme to obtain it. And I wonder if by intentionally not naming this commandment, Jesus is shining a spotlight on it, helping the man discover for himself, this is the one thing that you lack. He is rich, but his stuff isn't satisfying him. His eyes are always on the things of life, the things that other people have. And this is why he is still searching. The cure for him in doing this is to cut loose from his stuff. And if he does that, to give it all away, then he will have eternal life. But what does that mean for us? Do we have to do what, this, what Jesus told this man to do? Do we have to, too, sell all of our possessions and give the money to the poor? I think the answer is maybe. Maybe we do. What I do know is that Jesus wants to encounter you in the way that he encounters the rich young ruler, that he wants to gaze earnestly in, upon you in love and help you discover the one thing you lack so that you too may have eternal life, that the empty place inside of you may be filled so that you may find contentment, so that you may have life in him, not just when you die, but now. So what is the one thing that you still lack? What part of, another way to ask that question is, what part of your life is hands off to God? For this man, it was his wealth. He followed God in every area of his life except for that. God, I will worship you on Sunday. I will read the Bible. I know your word. I will even help other people. I'll be part of Transform. I'll serve in ministry. I'll, be, I'll do all kinds of things. But my money, well, that's mine. I do with it what I want. I earned it. Don't mess with my money, God. I don't think that this is an accident that this, this story is about a man who couldn't give up his possessions because, oh, we love our stuff. And our eyes are just so prone to being on things that other people have, to be dazzled by other people's possessions. A few weeks ago, I took a walk in a neighborhood that I have never walked in before. It's a very nice neighborhood. And I found myself captivated by the large, well-kept homes, by the beautiful gardens. I have a very nice home, which I love. But there was something about the homes that I looked at on my walk that I found myself wondering, I wonder what it would be like to live in a house like that. It's so tempting to covet other people's stuff. Jesus says that the, the way to deal with that temptation is to choose to give it away, to show yourself that it's not what's most important to you. That is not the foundation of your life. 
Are you like the rich young ruler? Does God impact every part of your life except your finances? Jesus gazes earnestly at you and says to you that if you really want to experience the abundant life that I offer, you need to give it away. You need to give away what you have so that what you have no longer controls you. When Ken and I started tithing more than 25 years ago, we did it on a trial basis. We said, we'll do this for six months and then we'll see what happens. We went, for, we did, we went from giving $20 in the plate sometimes to full on tithing. And if you don't know what tithing means, tithing means 10% of your paycheck. Just look what your paycheck is, move the decimal point, that's what a tithe is. And for most people, that's more than $20 every now and then. We found though, that tithing has helped us to remember that God is the one in whom we place our trust, that God is the one who meets our needs. And so we've, that trial basis has never stopped. We've never stopped tithing. In fact, we've been blessed and we've been able to give more than a tithe. And I don't think that for me right now, my money is the most significant part of my life that is hands off to God. I don't think this story is, means that every one of us should sell our, uh, sell our possessions and give to the poor. I think the point of this story is that every one of us has some area in our life that we just don't want God to touch. And Jesus wants all of you, every single part of you, the beautiful parts and the ugly parts, the religious parts and the ordinary parts, the hurts from your past and the worries for your future. What are you holding on to and not allowing God to touch? Maybe it's your time. You know, don't touch my schedule, God. I need my me time. Hands off, God. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a broken relationship that you just don't want God to mess with because you've been hurt enough and you are not willing to get hurt anymore. You do not want to pursue forgiveness or reconciliation. Hands off, God. Maybe it's a, not a broken relationship. Maybe it's a loving relationship. A relationship that you just can't hand over and entrust that God's going to take care of that person who is so very dear to you. Maybe it's an ungodly habit that you enjoy too much to give up. Hands off, God, don't touch that. Or like the rich young ruler, maybe it's your stuff. Maybe it's your money. That's mine. Hands off, God. I know what it is for me. I know what it is. It's a broken part of my life that I've gotten so used to that I don't know if I want to change it. It's an area of my life that is hard for me to allow God in because I can't imagine how it could ever change. And like giving away all of my possessions, it just seems impossible to me. Maybe you feel that way too. Jesus isn't going to force his way into my life or your life or anyone's life. If you want that part of your life to be hands off, Jesus will let you do that. Whatever part of your life that you are holding on to so tightly that you don't want God to touch, you can keep doing that. And like the rich young ruler, you can walk away 
sad because you just can't give that part of your life to Jesus. But as we end, I just want to really encourage you, don't walk away because you don't think change is possible. Don't walk away because you don't think you can do it. Don't walk away for, because it's easier than, for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Because what is impossible for you and what is impossible for me is possible with God. The end of this story, Jesus says in verse 26, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. God can transform every single part of your life, your money, your relationships, your time, your heart. Don't walk away sad. Don't walk away from the one who looks at you with nothing but love. Don't walk away from a life of abundance and meaning. There's a lot of things that we can't do, but with God, all things are possible. Amen. I want to leave you with a blessing from the book of Numbers in the sixth chapter. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen.